Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. Hello there. Your work is worship. Yes, your work is worship. We sometimes think I have to be ordained or in a special category of Christians to be leading worship or if I'm going to participate in worship, it has to be in a certain place or a certain time or a certain context. But the Bible says whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you're doing, do it all to the glory of God. In Colossians, Paul says to servants and workers, work as if to Christ. It is Christ you're serving, not men. And so we are looking at how your work is worship. And we're trying to make this very practical and very real for you. And I want to look at a passage in Matthew chapter 5 today where Jesus called us salt and light. And I want to unpack it and help us to understand how we can be salt and light in all of the hours of the week. There are 168 hours in a week. You maybe are in church activities for three or four of those. What about all the rest of the week? How can we be worshiping God. So in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Now salt in those days and, and in this day, but more so in those days, salt was very valuable. Uh, you know, when we have that saying, a worker's not worth his salt. Salt was a very valuable commodity in those days. And so Jesus was saying, you're precious, precious to God, but very valuable in what you can do for other people. He said, you are the salt of the earth. But bear in mind, salt does several things. Number one, it's tasty. It is nice. You put it on your food because it adds flavor. It is pleasant. In Colossians 4, when Paul is talking about how we speak to non-believers, to people outside of the church, he said, let your speech be seasoned with salt and full of grace or humility or kindness or, or gentleness, grace. And so... Salt has a, a flavorness to it. It's attractive. We are supposed to be attractive and nice to be around, not just a pain in the neck. Salt also stops decay. And in those days, they didn't have refrigeration like we have today. And so they would put salt on meat and various other things to stop it from rotting. And so we are supposed to have an effect on the world around us where we stop the rot, the, the bad decay of the world around us. And salt also creates a thirst. It makes a person want water. And when we are with other people, we are supposed to create a thirst for Christ. So he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. He says, make sure you are doing the job of salt. You've got a job to do. I'm expecting you to do something. Now, uh, this implies that the salt has to be out there in the world to stop the rot, to be seasoned and, and flavorful, to be creating thirst. Salt has to be out there in contact with the food or with the, the rest of the world. It can't be kept in a little salt shaker in the kitchen cabinet. It has to be shaken out. And so we have to be out there. He then goes on to say, you are the light of the world. Again, light is such a precious, important thing. You, you are the light of the world. 
In other places, Jesus said he was the light of the world, but now he says that we are the light of the world. You know, there are some people in your circle of, of influence and your workplace and your friendships and your social life. There are some people who will never go to church. They will never learn about Jesus. They will never see Jesus. They will never hear about Jesus other than through you. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. What he's saying is we're supposed to be shining. People are supposed to know we are Christians. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Jesus was saying, you have a job to do all 168 hours of your week. You, not just the ordained special um, minister, you have a job to do. You are the light of the world. Shine, 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 shine to the whole world. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Similar to the salt illustration, he's saying there is an effect we're supposed to be having. They're supposed to see our good works. They're supposed to see how kind that person is, how much integrity they have, how much they don't speak about others behind their backs, how hardworking they are, how honest they are, how loving they are. All these different aspects are good works. They're supposed to see them and then they glorify our Father in heaven. So work how does work is worship fit into this? Well, most of your time in the week is spent at work if you're employed. If you're working at home or doing various other things, you can fit this into your context. But for most of us at work, this is where this is supposed to have an effect. And we're supposed to be shining the light, being salt, creating thirst, being tasty, stopping the rot wherever we are. Let me just read to you Psalm 15, just about this good works thing, because it, it describes how a person of integrity behaves. And this would have an effect. If you were at your workplace, you go into your office, you sit at your desk on a Monday morning, and we behaved like this, it has an effect. The Bible says here that it's like light and people give glory to God. They may not yet serve God or acknowledge Him or love Him, but they say, wow, there's something about these Christians. Look at how they live. He says, uh, who may abide in your tabernacle, O Lord, who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. How are you doing with that one? Speaking the truth, not half truths, not lies, not gossip, but speaks the truth. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. You know, when the office politics are talking about somebody, we don't participate. We don't get involved. How many times have we half got involved and it's come back to bite us? Because when you backbite, it bites you back. Verse 4, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Swears to his own hurt means if I've said I will do something, even if it's going to hurt me, even if I'm going to have to pay a price, I will keep my word. Wow, we need that in the world today. Imagine how that would have an effect on people and they would say, God is great because look how his people behave. He who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent, he who does these things shall never be moved. I want to just talk briefly about... Um, how we can put this into practice with our words as well. 
you know, there are times I worked in an office for five years and people knew I was a Christian. I told them I was, but it was only after four years that people started asking me about Christ and to explain the gospel to them and to tell them why I believed. And so sometimes after a long period of doing good works, we may get the opportunity to pray with someone, to speak to someone. And so I just want to talk very briefly about how we do that. Being salt and light includes being able to tell people if they say to you, why do you believe in God? Why do you go to church? What is this Christian thing all about? I believe in this. What do you believe? These are the openings that we might have. Or somebody may say, this is what I did this weekend. What did you do this weekend? Or this is my greatest love outside of work. What is yours? And we have an opportunity. So the first thing I want to just uh, help you with is a testimony. A testimony is when you tell somebody what God has done for you. And it could be how you became a Christian, or it could be how God has helped you in a certain area, how God has answered prayer, how your life is different, better, how God has been a blessing in your life. And all we do is we tailor the story to the time we have and the opportunity we have. If you have 30 seconds, you make it a brief one. If you have 10 minutes, you make it longer. And we simply say, this is what my situation was before. This is what God has done. And this is how it is afterwards. And we give God the glory. We, we point the finger towards God and his goodness and not ourselves. And if you do that, it is powerful. A testimony cannot be argued with. People may disagree with your beliefs, but they cannot argue with something that's happened to you. Do you remember the man who was blind and Jesus healed him and the Pharisees came and questioned him. He says, I don't know anything really about who this man is. All I know is I was blind, but now I can see. And that's what a testimony is. And can I encourage you to have some testimonies ready when God has done something for you, either when you became a believer or when he's helped you in your life, have some testimonies ready and be ready in season and out of season, always ready to give a reason for what you believe. And a testimony is one of those. The second thing is someone might give you the opportunity to explain the gospel. And the gospel can be explained over many hours or it can be summarized into a very short space of time. The most simple version of the gospel, a 30-second version, goes like this. Religion is spelled D-O. Do enough and try and get to God. But real Christianity, a relationship with God, is spelled D-O-N-E. He has done it all and I just say thank you. That is the shortest version of the gospel that you can give. But if somebody gives you more opportunities, you could try and cover four points. The first is about God. The second is about me. The third is about Jesus. And the fourth is about my response or how we put it into action. So the first point is God. God loves you. He's good. He has good plans for you. He wants you in heaven. He's prepared heaven for you. He is a kind, loving, perfect father. And he wants to save you. God, God is good. Me is the second point. I have sinned just like everyone on the planet. We don't compare ourselves to other people. We compare ourselves to God's perfect standard. And he says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so I am broken. I've sinned 
And you can be very honest and say, I sin every day so that they realize that we have all sinned. The third is Jesus. Jesus came as a human with all the temptations and trials we face. He lived a perfect, sinless life and he died so that we could be forgiven. He paid the penalty for all our sins and he has made a way for us to be loved and accepted and to get to heaven when we die. And then the fourth is our response. When I see this and understand it and believe it and say, yes, Lord, come in, forgive me, wash me, take my life, then I become what is called born again. I get a new spirit within me and I become a new person. That is the essential elements of the gospel. And I encourage you to be ready to share that. But now I just want to go through a passage in Luke chapter 10, where Jesus sent out 70 of his followers and just show you what it says about how we do the salt and light activity in the real world. So in Luke 10, it says, After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Jesus chose 70. Even though he had 12 apostles, he chose a bigger group. And these were just normal Christians. And this tells me that he wants you and me all of us to be going up. Then it says he sent them two by two. We need to have somebody we're praying with or, or, or sharing what's going on um, in our lives with so that they can stand with us in prayer. If you're in a workplace where there are no other Christians, find somebody else who's a believer and pray with them and tell them what's happening in your workplace so that they can agree with you. And then it says he sent them into every place where he himself was about to go. You know, Jesus sends you into your workplace because he wants to get in there. Jesus doesn't want to stay cloistered away in a church building. He wants to get into every place on the planet, every place, every corner, every dark place, every light place, wherever it is on the planet, he wants to be there. And he sends us in, in his place to prepare the way. It says in verse two, he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He was saying, we need more workers and it's everyone. It's not just the special ordained few. It's not just for three or four hours a week. It's for the whole 168 hours a week. And it's all of us, our laborers, where we're working for the king in bringing in his harvest, being salt and light wherever we live. That's you, my friend. Yes, he's called you. Verse 3, go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. He's saying, be wise, be canny about this. Realize that there will be opposition. You won't be loved everywhere. And it's going to be difficult at times. You're lambs among wolves. In another place, he says, be as wise as serpents, but as innocent as doves. In other words, keep yourself pure, but be aware, be worldly wise to all the schemes and the backbiting and the lies that are going on around you. Lambs among wolves. Then verse 4, he says, carry neither money bag, knapsack, sandals, greet no one along the road. He was saying, I'll provide for you. I'll open the way. Don't wait until you've got all your ducks in a row, until you've done your theology degree, until you've saved enough money, until all the things line up. He says, just go. I'll look after you. And later on, he says, a worker is worthy of his wages. He says, I'll provide whatever you need. Then verse 5, he says, whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. Now that's interesting. Peace. We bring God's peace. Remember I spoke about salt being flavorful, how we speak with grace 
with peace. We don't come with an argument, with aggression, with a fight, with a condemning finger, with a judgmental attitude. We come with a smile, we come with love, with acceptance, with peace. He says, first say, peace to this house. When you walk into a group or a place, you should bring God's peace, his love, his favor, his smile. If a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. We're looking for a son of peace. In other words, a friendly face. Look for people who are open to the gospel and go to the easy people first, the low-hanging fruit first, rather than trying to go for the person who's just an argumentative, aggressive, anti-Christian. Because God has put people, men of peace, son of peace, wherever you are, and try and build relationships. He goes on to say, remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. He's saying build relationships. Don't rush around trying to evangelize a hundred different people. Build relationships with a few people. Build peace, build friendship, and you can share the gospel. Isn't that beautiful? Heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. This is the big message of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus kept saying the kingdom of God has come near to you and then he would heal the sick. And it's the same message we have. The kingdom of God means there's a new king, a better king. It's not the prime minister of our country. It's not the president. It's not the devil. It's not human beings. Jesus wants to be king of your life. And look, he demonstrates it by healing. And so there's not often you get a chance. But when somebody says they have a need, sometimes if you come with grace and with peace, people will open up to you and say, I'm really battling with this or I'm having this problem. You could say something in a non-weird way like, can I pray for you? Or I will be praying for you. Or this happened to me and God helped me through it. Can I pray the same for you? And we pray for healing, not just physical, although it includes physical, but also emotional, mental, relationship healing, all the different healings. We say the kingdom of God, the new king wants to come into your life. And look, he demonstrates it by healing you. And when you pray, God will answer. I've seen it so many times, not just in my life, but many, many normal everyday Christians who've prayed this for people and they've seen healing. And then he goes on to say, but whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say the very dust of your city, which clings to us, we wipe off against you. He says, don't worry about rejection. Later on, he says, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Uh, don't worry about it. You will be rejected. Don't let it bother you because God is with you. And then in verse 17, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you, you 70 normal Christians, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit. He was laughing in the spirit. And he said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. Jesus gets a kick out of normal young baby Christians 
being laborers and sharing his good news. And he gives all of us the authority to trample on the devil's work and to extend it. But it comes by being salt and light, by doing a good job and by being good people, by bringing peace and grace and love. And then we earn the right to pray for people and to share the gospel. Isn't that amazing? I pray that you are able to put this into practice. Wherever you work, wherever you live, whatever you're doing, start to see your life as not just worship and secular, but it's all worship. Start to see yourself as God's salt and as light wherever you go, family meetings, social events, workplaces, and start to look for opportunities to put this into practice, to build relationships, to look for a person of peace who you can befriend, to, to eat and drink together with people, to share the kingdom of God and to pray for healing, and to invite people to our church meetings. We're so fortunate now that we have freedom of worship where you can invite people to church and they can get a taste of what God is really like. Why don't you do that? At Leading Lights, we have a website, leadinglightsnetwork.com, which will help you do this wherever you live. And our whole idea is that normal people can do great things and even start groups and churches wherever they live. So have a look at our website. I just want to close by talking about two business people, Priscilla and Aquila. They were a husband and wife. I'm not going to read all the verses, but it's in Acts chapter 18, 19 and 20. In Acts chapter 18, Paul the Apostle arrives at a city called Corinth. And there's a couple there called Priscilla and Aquila who make tents. And because he has the same training, he goes and he works for them. And it turns out they were believers in Rome. And the emperor had persecuted Christians and kicked them out. And so they'd run away to Corinth and they'd started a business in Corinth. And one day this man, Paul, came in and said, can I have a job, please? Isn't that amazing? The greatest apostle who wrote most of the New Testament asked for a job because work is worship. They built a relationship with him. He was there for 18 months in Corinth and they watched the church grow and they helped him in it. And then at the end of 18 months, Paul says, I'm going now to Ephesus because I believe God wants us to start a church there. And it says that Priscilla and Aquila went with him. They left everything in Corinth. They packed up their business. They went to Ephesus and they started a tent making business there in Ephesus. Paul then leaves them and he goes and does a few other ministry trips. And he comes back about a year later when they've established the business so that he then can work for them again and he works in their business and he's making tents every day and he's putting handkerchiefs around his head and aprons on his clothing while he's making tents and in Acts chapter 19 it says God did unusual miracles through the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons were taken from his body and laid on the sick and the sick recovered because Paul's secular work was anointed it was worship and Priscilla and Aquila were vital in this process. They were leading a house church in Ephesus and in Rome and in Corinth. They were leading church meetings. And at the end of Acts 18, it talks about them taking in a man called Apollos, who became a great apostle in the church. And it says Priscilla and Aquila explained the way of God to him more fully because he didn't really understand about being filled or baptized in the Holy Spirit yet. And so this couple, who weren't 
ordained ministers. They weren't preachers. They were business people. They set up businesses. They led house churches. They explained the gospel to people when they came across them. And they became the instrument that God used along with Paul, along with Titus and Silas and Timothy and all these different people. God used a team of people to start a church in Ephesus that became the greatest New Testament church. It was later led by Timothy and then it was led by the Apostle John. Jesus's mother Mary lived in Ephesus. The book of Ephesians was written to it. The book of 1 and 2 Timothy were written to it. The book of Revelation was written to it. Uh, it was a, a very important church and it was enormous. It says that Paul would work as a tent maker, but also teach in a, in a rented school hall every day. And in the space of two years, the whole province of Asia, everyone around, all the cities around, heard the word of the Lord because of Paul, but also because of Priscilla and Aquila and various others who were working, working. Paul was working throughout all that time. Priscilla and Aquila were working through it all that time, but God was building a church. Friend, your work is worship. I want to inspire you that you can be like these people. You can work hard, do a good job, be salt and light, and earn money which you can plow into the kingdom and grow churches where you live and around the world. Father, I pray for myself and my brothers and sisters that you would inspire us and help us, Lord, and, and give us a, a calling and a, and a jolt of your anointing to understand that you have a plan for us in all the hours of our week, in all the places that we go. Lord, I pray for a, an anointing on my brother or sister who's watching this today, that you would give them words and wisdom by your Spirit that no one can resist or contradict, that they would have testimonies, they would be able to share the gospel, they would be able to pray for healing and for miracles in people's lives, and they would use the authority that you've given us to be able to do great things. Lord, bless their work just as you blessed Paul's work so that the tools of his trade became the instruments for miracles and use them in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Friend, we love you. Look at leadinglightsnetwork.com. We would love to help you do something great for God where you live. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.